tell. Um, well, good morning. It's great to see you. Lovely fall day outside, man. I'm, I love when we can get together and worship. Um, have you, anybody, this is kind of dating me, but you know, used to, there used to be like these as seen on TV products. I don't know if they're there as much anymore. Anybody willing to admit you actually have bought one or two of those things before? What was your experience with them? Was it good? Okay. Okay. So you bought a trimmer and it worked great. Anybody else? Shamu, okay, yeah, that was kind of the sham wow. That's what it was, the sham wow. Who said that? You knew, that's right, sham wow. Did you have one of those, Lee? <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. Um, you guys have the special stuff, I guess, though, because it actually worked, but sometimes you buy that stuff and it's like you don't really get what you promised, right? You, you use it, you deal with it, and then it's like, is this going to be actually something that actually works? I found a few products that I did not know existed, and I thought, there's no way these things work. Like, for instance, these sauna pants. <laughs> Real product. I'm not lying. This could be yours for $40. Sauna pants. And here's the description. They will make you sweat quickly in the areas where you need it most. I, I don't know. They, I have an entirely different idea of where I need to sweat, evidently. But the abdomen, the waist, the back, and the hips, helping you shed water and potentially lose weight. You know they had to put potentially in there or they'd have been sued. Anybody willing to admit you bought sauna pants? No, okay, I wouldn't admit it either. Or what about this one here, this next one? It's called the Better Marriage Blanket. Anybody heard of this one? You know, this one's kind of interesting because I really didn't know what to expect until I dug in. This one is for one easy payment of $49.95 plus shipping and handling, of course. You can own the secret to a healthier, more loving marriage. That's right. The Better Marriage Blanket is a state-of-the-art flactuance-absorbing bed sheet that helps the problem of frequent gas never become between you and your partner. I'm just going to move on. I don't even have anything else to say on that. Okay. Or this last one. I've only got one more. Anybody ever heard of the slob stopper? <sighs> oh, man. It's basically, it's basically an adult bib. You can go out. You can YouTube slob stopper, and it shows you a video of a guy who obviously can't drink coffee in his car because he spills it on himself. Evidently, there's a woman walking by, and when she sees him messy, she's like, oh, but when she walks by seeing him wearing a bib, she's like, oh, and I, I don't understand that at all. <laughs> but you know, a lot of things make big promises and fail to deliver, don't they? And really, we've been studying the book of Galatians, and that's exactly the problem that Paul has been addressing for the last five weeks as we've been looking at this. The law makes big promises. The law says, I will cover you. You've got it. Just follow me and everything will be okay. Trust in your own self, your own self-righteousness. And Paul says, this is garbage. You've just wasted $49.95 plus shipping and handling because it cannot do what it promises to do. And, but as we're going to see today, whereas the, anybody remember the TV salesman, they would often say, but wait, there's more. Paul's going to say, but wait, there's more today in his own way. And he says, yes, there is more. But let me tell you how this is going to really change your life. 
And so we're going to begin to wrap up the letter today. Today's our last point in this series. We're, going to, we're not going to get to chapter 6. We may save that for later uh, because we're moving to a new series next year. All on prayer next week, all on prayer, and I'm very excited about that. But as Paul begins to wrap up this letter in Galatians 5, he begins to show them not just the powerlessness of their religion, how worthless it is, but then he shares with them what actually transforms them and empowers them to live their lives. And this is where he really gives us a little bit more information about the Holy Spirit of God. So let's dive into chapter 5 and see what Paul has to say. We're going to start just chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the law, the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Now, I realize if if this kind of talk makes you uncomfortable, you really don't like Galatians, but Paul uses that word circumcision a lot. And, but we have to understand, I realize in our culture today, that's not an issue for us. That's not what we're dealing with. But I do believe there are elements of religious life that we would easily replace for circumcision. Church attendance, tithing, good deeds, good works, whatever. We have our own thing. And so when we read things like Paul says, I tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, we can almost do a fill in the blank and put our own religious behaviors in there And Paul is saying the same thing to us. And what he needs us to understand is that he's starting with a couple strong words here. Words that for us carry a lot of emotional weight. Slavery and freedom. Slavery and freedom. And of course, those words mean a lot to us. Don't talk to us about freedom as Americans because we stand firm and we think we know what freedom is and we're never giving up a freedom and it's doing what I want all the time forever. And I think Paul's got something to say to us us about that. But we also have a history of slavery in this nation, and that stirs up things and the injustice and the horrible ways that was done. And Paul had that stuff going on in a similar fashion, not quite the same way, but nobody said, hey, I want to be a slave, even back then. And Paul's saying, look, slavery is one option. The other side of this is freedom. And when you look at these two, when when you look at them, is there even really a choice? Who looks and says, I want, put me in slavery? Nobody says that. We all want freedom. That's a deeply instilled value within us here. And like I said, we'll get to more about freedom in a bit. But what is fascinating here is how Paul is continuing to say what we said in week one. If you try to add anything to Jesus, you lose Jesus. It can never be Jesus plus. It's always just Jesus. And I get it. We might want to look at Paul here and say, aren't you overreacting just a little bit? I mean, circumcision, even in your day, was a pretty simple procedure. Didn't require an overnight hospital stay. It's not open heart surgery. It's a minor surgical thing. 
And that's why Paul, I think, is so passionate about it because he's saying even the minor things, the implications of taking on the minor things, adding them to Jesus is foolish because it loses Jesus in the process. I mean, did you see what he said? He said, if you do even this one little thing, you have to take on the entire law. You can't just take a piece of it. It's all or nothing. And we understand that mentality. But I fear that even for us, as we might agree with Paul saying, I wonder if there's not a piece of us that continues to try to live in a self-justifying way where we still try to look at our lives and we try to say, no, 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 God, I've got this. I mean, we look at our lives and we think, I haven't killed anyone. Okay. I haven't, you know, committed adultery. Okay. You know, I'm a good person. I live a good life. This has to make me acceptable to God. But if we follow that out to its natural conclusions, what we find is then these questions that we would probably say, oh, I'd never ask that. But it's really where a self-justifying life goes. If I'm really justified by my good deeds, do I really need forgiveness? I mean, how important is walking with God if I'm doing okay on my own? And really, do I need to be a part of a, of a faith community? Because I got this. At its core, what that mentality says is that it says, I've got this. I've got this. And Paul says, no. No, you don't. And he uses some really strong language because he says, the moment we think I've got this is the moment that you are alienated from Christ. That's strong words. That's powerful language. That if you think you've got this, what you've done is you've made Christ powerless and meaningless. Now, me, I realize as we think about that, we go, well, Christ is not powerless. No, he's not. Christ is not meaningless. No, he's not. But if we think we've got it, he's meaningless in our lives. And Paul even uses this expression, you've fallen away from grace. What is grace? Grace is what God shows to us because he loves us and wants to do this. It's unmerited favor towards us. And the moment we think I've got this is the moment we put our hands up and we say, no, I don't need or want your grace, God. Take it back. What a dangerous place to be. And yet God's grace is reaching out. It's calling and it's inviting us. And it's us giving this saying, no, thank you. And in case we start feeling good about ourselves and we think, well, that's not me. I don't think that. Paul says, look, there's another danger here. And he says this. He says, it's not circumcision and it's not even uncircumcision. <laughs> I think, why would he say this? I think it's because... You know, we like to create groups, don't we? We like to create lines and boundaries. And Paul is saying, look, I know you guys, you're going to want to say, I'm in the uncircumcision group now. And look at those bad circumcision group people. We're not those people. He knows that. We love, for whatever reason, to create us versus them. And he knows as soon as we do that, what do we do? We start relying on ourselves again. How easy is it for us to say, well, I'm not like them? And that's the, that's the self-justifying phrase, isn't it? I'm not like them. And Paul says, look, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that matters. If you're focused on any of that, you're focused on the wrong thing. 
He says it's God's righteousness that has liberated us from all of our attempts at self-righteousness. And then he says, we know this. How? Because our faith then begins to express itself in love. Now, it's very easy for us to read that from Paul and say, well, then Paul's saying faith expressing itself in love. There's the good works. He's going right back. No, 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 no. We read that in the context of everything else Paul says. Paul is talking about motivation. What drives us? Loving, loving to earn God's favor, is that our motivation? Or is it loving because we've already experienced it? That is as big a difference between night and day. And he talks more about this a little later. But before he gets there, I do have to point this out because I'd be a very bad pastor if I didn't show you. Paul has a really good sense of humor. I mean, don't miss this. There's comedy gold in what Paul is saying. And I realize that today already I have said the word circumcision about a hundred times. And that may make some of you uncomfortable. And you might be sitting there saying, Brent, I wish you would cut it out. (laughs) See, that's exactly what Paul does in his writing. I know it can be an uncomfortable subject, but you know... Look at what Paul says. He keeps writing and he says this. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? That's not an accidental word. That word right there, you look at the Greek behind it. Yep, it has circumcision undertones right there. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And then he makes this, he quotes this expression that was common at the time. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. He says, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Does anybody need to know what Paul's saying here? That's exactly right. This was not accidental for Paul. Paul has a great sense of humor. And if you miss this, you miss just how agitated and angry he is because he says, look, if you're going to do a little bit, just do it all. Go all the way. Don't even worry about it. Now, did you know the Bible could be this much fun? The Bible can be this amazing. And Paul is frustrated and he continues to focus on why. You minimize the work of the cross by what you're doing. You're acting as if Jesus doesn't matter and it's a different gospel. And it's not just a different gospel. It's causing confusion within, within you personally. And then it's also creating division within your church. And after all, when you start relying on your own righteousness and your own good deeds, it only takes a hot second before you begin comparing yourself to others and start seeing yourselves as better than other people. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Man, why do we enjoy putting other people down so much sometimes? Because it really makes me feel good about myself. I don't have to focus on my shortcomings, my failings, if I can look at other people and point theirs out. And that's exactly what was happening in the Galatian churches. They were becoming conceited, they were becoming competitive, and they were becoming jealous of one another, and it was splitting the church. And so Paul, as he continues to write, he addresses this disunity in the church. 
And so Galatians 5.13, and we pick it up there, and he says this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, and I love that even at this point in the letter, he's been agitated. He's thrown some things down, you know, in the letter talking about circumcision. And here he's still willing to say, my brothers and sisters, I don't know that we're willing to do that. I think when we find ourselves in conflict with others, the last thing we want to do is call them brother or sister. We want to go, you're my enemy. I got to, you know, but Paul's still there. He says, but you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I mean, you see what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, you guys are devouring each other. You're going at each other. You're sniping at each other. Stop that. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you, uh, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I'm going to talk about that expression in just a moment. That's a beautiful thing Paul is saying. But then he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't you love that list? Just breathe that list in right there. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, here's the danger. We look at this and we go, finally, there's my list of do's and don'ts. Can I get that in a checklist so that I can put that in my Bible and every day I can go, yep, didn't give myself over to drunkenness today. Check that off the list. You're lucky I picked drunkenness and not orgies. That would have made us all uncomfortable. Is that what Paul's doing here? No, no. We're tempted to view it that way, but if we do, we reduce our faith to nothing more than sin management. And Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to just be able to manage your sin. What Paul wants us to show, what Paul wants to show here is it's not about what you do. Yeah, he lists a lot of things we do, but what he needs to un us to understand is it's not about just what you do, it's about who you are. Because what you do will flow from what's on the inside. And Paul lays it out very simply in two ways. He says, there's the flesh, 
and there's the spirit. And I know we love to complicate things and we say, stop creating a false dichotomy. And I would say, this is not a false dichotomy. This is a true dichotomy. We're going to give ourselves over to one, the flesh and the spirit. And Paul tells us, he says, and both of these things want control of your life. And I want you, and he says, these things aren't equal, but it's, but what you feed, what you give yourself to will be what has the power in your life. And so if you feed the spirit, if you surrender to the spirit, then you will find those things of the spirit being demonstrated in your life. But if not, if you surrender to the flesh, don't be surprised when the acts of flesh begin to come out of your life. And look at that list, those 15 things. There were 15 different acts of the flesh. Commentaries were breaking them down into a few categories. You had started with sexual sins, or one commentary said sexual malpractice, uh, religious sins, um, antisocial or divisive behaviors, and lastly, sins of excess. And we could break these down. We could spend a minute on the next, on each 15 words, you know. Anybody want to do that? dig into the Greek and no, me neither. You know, here's what I want us to understand. At its foundation, the acts of the flesh are all self-centered. They're all focused on me, my desires, what I want, what makes me happy, what gratifies me. I mean, you start with sexual immorality. And what is that? It's all about my selfish sexual desires. I don't care about the other person. It's all about meeting my need, and I don't care how I have to use people to meet that need. They don't matter. What matters is my sexual satisfaction. That's what Paul's talking about there. And then he moves to the religious sins. What are those? He talks about witchcraft and idolatry. And we talked about that this summer. Uh, Pastor Amy talked about this in our desire for the spiritual. We want God on our own terms. We want God our way. We don't want to accept God the way he is. We want him the way we can understand him and put him in our box. And so we turn to things like idolatry or witchcraft or tarot or astrology. It's still about me, God my way. And then there's the divisive behaviors. God help us here. Our tendency to grab an idea or a position on something, rally our troops, and then demonize anyone who doesn't think like us. I call this common enemy thinking. One of my favorite famous expressions is nothing brings people together like a common enemy. And isn't that sad? We don't need hope as long as we have a common enemy. We don't even need a positive vision as long as we have a common enemy. And we need to think about this divisiveness that Paul talks about, all those words that create division and the real danger here. Because the danger is not just the division, it's what we become when we give ourselves over to the hatred and the division and the, you know, all these things. I mean, have you ever seen or witnessed somebody do something completely irrational only because they were part of a group that was stirring up divisiveness or division? We absolutely have, haven't we? Just take a look around it, around it at political outreach and you'll see that that's easily done, that we just fall into line and we lose our heads. And that's an act of the flesh. And Paul is warning against that. Don't give yourselves over to just divisiveness for divisiveness sake and hatred and discord. That's an act that's self-centered, self-gratifying. And then he ends with the, the two sins of excess that he lists, the, the drunkenness and orgies. Such an interesting list there. 
But this is where we just, we give ourselves to excess to escape. Why do we get drunk? Because I don't like the world the way it is. And still very self-centered. But what happens when the buzz wears off and the people go home that, we're, that we, we left with? We think we're going to escape and all we do is we find out that the world's setting right there in our face every time. And we need to know Paul's not making an exhaustive list here. That's why we don't create a check mark here and go, yep, didn't do that. At the end, he puts, and the like. <laughs> He's got this incredible list of sins, and he goes, etc. Okay. But then at the beginning of it, what's he say? He says, look, you guys know this. The sins of the flesh, the acts of the flesh, they are obvious. They're obvious. You don't, you know this. And he's basically saying, even if you try to justify yourself, you know, you know, deep down, you know, you know, and our, our danger as humans is we love to point out the things that other people do that are wrong because we can lift ourselves up or we'll try to justify ourselves and make ours acceptable. Well, mine's not as bad as yours. The things we struggle with, amazingly, we can try to justify, can't we? But the reason Paul talks about this is really for a couple reasons. Because what the acts of the flesh do is they reveal what's on the inside and it reveals what we've given ourselves to, but also because he needs us to understand the damage these things do to the community. That list of 15 things, man, they will wreak havoc. They will destroy community and unity, especially in the church. Notice Paul says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? And really, in the world we live, we want to look at that and we want to say, oh, God is so mean. How could he do such a thing? But then we have to take a step back. And we step back to realize, what is God's ultimate goal? New creation, right? And what's the new creation going to be like? Perfect. Any tears? Any division? Divisiveness? You see, in God's ultimate creation, the renewal of all things, there's no room for the acts of the flesh. And the question is, is what are you going to hold on to tighter? I don't necessarily believe that God, yeah, I believe in a God of judgment, but I don't think necessarily it's because God is mean that he's going to do this. I think he, God, for some reason, he, he allows us agency in this world. And I think sometimes we want to hold on to the things that God say, God says, I can't let that in. That's going to destroy the new creation. And if you want that more than you want this, I'm going to let you have it. And just like we wouldn't take cancer and introduce it into a perfectly healthy body, God says, I can't allow that in because that's a cancer that will come in and destroy. And, God said, and Paul tells us, he reminds us, and people you know, who do these things, who live like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we have to ask, what life do we want? And what is the lifestyle of the life that we want? Good questions. And then Paul sets these acts of the flesh up against the fruit of the Spirit. And I love this. We love those, those words, don't we? They bring such joy and peace and make us feel good. But Paul says here, look, I need you just to know this. Jesus' people live radically different lives. We should. We should. The way we live, the way we interact shouldn't be like the rest of the world lives and acts. 
I was reading a commentary this week, and the writer put it this way. It said, one of the glories of the gospel of the crucified Messiah is that there is a different way to be human. I love that. There's a different way to be human. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And it won't make sense to the world. And what happens is we can't live this way just by sheer force of will. We live this way because of what is living within us, the Holy Spirit. And even the way Paul talks about this is so fascinating. Because he uses the word acts of the flesh. Those are the things we do. And then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Can you make fruit just by hoping it happens? Oh, grow an apple. No. It's got to be grown. That's exactly right. The fruit reveals not what we do, but what the Spirit is doing in and through us. And that is such a critical difference. Now, does that mean we're not involved in the process? Oh, absolutely not. My friend Beth up here, who graciously provides the church with communion grape juice once a month, it's amazing. She's all into vines and, and grapes and all that fun stuff. What would happen if you took your hands off that, the, the vineyard, the small vineyard you have in your backyard? Would it continue to produce grapes? you got to prune. Yeah, it takes work, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It takes work. You've got to stand in there. And that's exactly the fruit idea is amazing because it reminds us that it's got to be watered. you got to tend to it. you got to prune it occasionally. you got to protect it from attack. Insects want to come and destroy it. It's something we have to cultivate. But what's amazing is, is just like the list of sins, those acts of the flesh impact the community in such a negative way. The list of the fruit of the Spirit isn't just about you becoming a better person. It's about how we as a community are supposed to live. We have to take a step back from this hyper-individualized faith that maybe many of us were taught. Because when Paul's writing this, he's not saying, Paul, you got to have more love, have more joy, have more peace. He's writing to a church this letter would have been read when they met together in someone's home. And when they would have heard this, they would have assumed, oh, we need to show more love. We need to have joy, patience, self-control. It's about us. This is how the community is supposed to live. Look at the list again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want that. I want that for us. I want to be a part of that. I mean, have you ever wondered why I don't sit up here on Sundays and rant and yell at you? Because it's not, in my opinion, the fruit of the Spirit. Also because you're adults and the last thing you need is somebody yelling at you all the time. I don't run up here and flail my arms and yell and da 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 and like I saw recently, take a golf club to a dollhouse on stage or whatever. You know why I don't do that? I get enough of that from the world. I was, this week, one morning I woke up and for some reason I just put news on my phone and I was reading things and I got into the office and I was just stopping for prayer and as I just sat there, I could feel it in my body, the agitation, the tension, the bleh. I just, I hate it so bad. And the last thing I want 
I don't think that's what we're called to be. What we need, what I want, is to be a part of this community that demonstrates the love and the kindness and the gentleness and the peace because I need peace. I need kindness. And I desire kindness. And I desire to be with people who show me kindness. And I want to be the type of man, the type of Jesus followers that shows kindness to somebody that even I vehemently disagree with. But I can still show them kindness and gentleness. I know the pain that I feel when I lose control and anger and how a little patience demonstrated for me can make me feel valued. We can't be the type of community Paul is talking about without kindness. We can't be that community without joy. We can't be that community without love. And then I love what Paul says. He says, you know, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, if that's the outgrowth of your life, he says, the law can't touch you. Who can object to that type of behavior? Who can point a finger and talk about how terrible you are? And if we err, shouldn't we err where we look more like the fruit of the Spirit than the acts of the flesh? Now, does this mean nothing else matters, that we create a fuzzy group of people with no standards? No, absolutely not. It just means we understand the balance. That Paul, when he talks about unity in the church, he's talking about the balance of truth and grace and love and mercy. Holiness and gentleness. N.T. Wright, I love him. He made this comment. He said, the unity of the church, renouncing angry factionalism, especially in relation to ethnic, tribal, or political identities, thus goes hand in hand with the call to holiness. As has often been noted, unity looks comparatively easy if you don't care about holiness. You just get together and ignore differences. Likewise, holiness looks comparatively easy if you don't care about unity. You just split off from everyone who disagrees with you. In both cases, of course, looks deceive. The hard struggle for the Pauline blend of unity and holiness, central issues in all Christian formation, will involve suffering, not least for church leaders facing misunderstanding and criticism from all sides. Welcome, Paul says, to my world, to the world shaped by the Messiah's cross, to a challenge every bit as urgent in the 21st century as it was in the first And isn't that the truth? So how do we cultivate this? How do we live in this? The Spirit. That's it. Easy enough, right? If only. We know it's not easy. But Paul throws in a little crucifixion language here. says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You ever think about crucifixion other than around Easter time and Good Friday? Not a quick and painless process, was it? It was long and drawn out. And just like first century crucifixion wasn't quick and painless, neither will our formation into Christ-likeness. It's going to be a gradual process, a daily decision, as Martin Luther called it, a daily baptism, dying with Christ in death and raised to walk in newness of life. And remember, if we give ourselves to the flesh, if we go for the flesh, we're going to get the flesh. 
that if we give ourselves to the Spirit and surrender, if we walk in step with the Spirit, that's what we get. Are we willing to walk this way? And what's the ultimate objective of this? It's in that first verse we read in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I do think we've so abused that word that whenever we hear it, we think, I don't have to give any regard to anyone or anything else. And that's not what Paul's saying. In fact, Paul would say that the reason he talks about the spirit and flesh is because we're going to be enslaved to something. The question is what? Even if you think you're not, you are. But only one thing can bring about true freedom, and that is life in the spirit. One commentary talked about it this way. It said, so many today talk about free love and free life, but in reality they are slaves to their own appetites to which they give free reign simply because they cannot control them. This is slavery to the fallen nature. Paul isn't saying you have a license to sin. He's saying you don't need it. When you have the Spirit, you're walking in step with the Spirit. You've got all that you need. Paul's talking about a type of faith that transforms us that reshapes us from the inside out, that cultivates the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And why is this significant? Because the faith that cannot change us cannot be a faith that saves us. Think about that. A faith that cannot change us cannot be a faith that saves us. So what is the fruit of your life? What is it saying about who you are following? It's a big question, right? What are we giving ourselves to? What are we cultivating? So that's where we end right now. I realize that there's more in Galatians 6, and we'll try to get to that at a later date to finish this up. But for right now, think about the foundation of your faith, what you're building on, what you're giving yourself to. And then this last slide here is just one I want us to pray together. A prayer about the Holy Spirit, where we just say, Holy Spirit, Reveal in me what I am cultivating in my life. And let that prayer be something we take with us today. And allow our authenticity, our vulnerability to come forth to where even if something comes out, the light shines on something, we're like, whoa, I don't like that. Let us deal with God with that. Because that's where it is. 